Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today, First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun examines the benefits of one of the most important concepts of the Christian life, confession of our sins. Today, we learn where some sins start and what are these benefits of confession. This morning, we're going to talk about the blessing of confessing. Confessing may not be something we like, but I believe that God loves it when someone confesses a wrongdoing. Why? Because it's freeing. It, it removes toxins from our soul. It's the road to living in reality that we are not perfect. Plus, it puts us in a pono position. Pono, the Hawaiian word for uh, right relationship with God, right relationship with people. That forms a cross, easy to remember. But it's about righteousness. And what more would anyone want? Let's, let's look at the most amazing confession scenes in the Bible and see what lessons we can glean for ourselves. So in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel, in the 11th chapter, beginning with the 26th verse, is this passage. And uh, if you so desire, please stand as we honor the reading of the word of God. And this is what it says. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, King David had her brought uh, to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David and when he came to him, he said, There are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed them with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this in broad daylight before all Israel. 
Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. King David, described in the Bible, was a man over after God's own heart. He was so faithful. He was the shepherd boy, remember, in Chris Pan's sermon, who killed the giant Goliath. Before that, he could take on the lions and the bears and win. He was also a mighty soldier who killed thousands of the enemy. He was close to God. But then his mind went idle. This godly man took a turn for the worse to a terrible dark sin. He went into a season of lying, committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and had her husband named Uriah killed so he could marry her. He abused his position of power to take advantage of a woman and become a murderer. He was the king and no one called him on this behavior. No one except a prophet named Nathan who in a clever parable got David to confess his sin and guilt. David's remorse was, was sincere. In fact, he wrote a psalm called Psalm 51, which detailed his feelings of guilt and confession. Hear his words, what he wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize now my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just for I was born a sinner. Yet, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then comes a very famous part in the psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Could you sense David's cleansing act of confession? Now let's examine the blessing of confessing. First, the journey of sin. When we get into a sinful habit or a sinful act, it is normal, normally a journey. It's a process. For David, it started with him being in an idle mode. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says that in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. His mind was idle. He, he, he's not focused on any mission or cause. His guard was down. It was a season of purposelessness. No challenges. And late one afternoon, after his midday rest, 
David got out of his bed, walked out onto the roof of his palace, and noticed a woman down below named Bathsheba taking an outside bath. It was like he was on a top floor of a condominium looking down at some rooftop swimming pool or jacuzzi of a neighboring condominium where he saw a naked woman. The journey of sin may have started somewhat innocent with just a glance, but then David sent one of his servants to find out who she was. And that is when the intentional sinful journey began. He took a step towards sin. How does that work? You know, I remember in my previous church where I was counseling a young man who just had gotten married, but he committed an affair. And when we talked, he said, quote, it just happened. Just happened? As I listened to a story, it was clear that it didn't just happen. He said he was on a business trip with a female colleague. They went out to dinner alone. Not good to do that with someone not your wife. Guardrails need to be up. Had too many drinks. Not good. Then he escorted her up to her hotel room. Not good. I mean, it's not like there were terrorists waiting for her and he had a protector. Then she invited him into her room to have a drink. He said yes. Not good. Then they had sex. Not good. Upon anal analysis, it wasn't, gee, what happened? Like, he just ended up in a room and his clothes magically fell off. There was a series of bad intentional decisions. He took a step towards sin and it caused the end of his very short marriage. Part of any sinful process is that it is a journey of many, not just one, but many small micro decisions that were unwise. It can lead us down a path where we do not believe in reality anymore, like the reality of the sanctity of marriage, or the reality that one should be honest in business, or the reality that if you, life, if you lie, life gets worse, not better. The reality that if you deceive anyone, it is poisonous for your life. And somehow there needs to be an intervention to snap us back into reality. Some of us are fortunate. Blessed that, blessed that we have a friend like Nathan um, in the Bible who confronts us with our sinful journey and just says, hey, you gotta stop this. That Nathan can be a friend, a relative, a colleague, a spouse who says, stop doing what you're doing. Look at what you have become. Stop it right now. Repent. The amazing thing about Nathan is that he used a creative parable so that David could come to his own conclusion of how horrible he was. Nathan drew it out of David rather than pounding in his head with guilt. Wise strategy, especially with a king. We need Nathans in our lives to point out to us areas where we need to change or repent. Greek is the language of the New Testament. And the Greek word in the Bible for repentance is metanoia, which means to turn around. Interesting, 
It's like you're walking towards something and you gotta turn around from that behavior and not do it again. Repentance, therefore, can be from big or smaller acts that we need to turn around. Pat Gelsinger, who I just saw in a 60 Minutes TV show, is the CEO of Intel Corporation, you know, that company that we're depending on to make a, a lot of computer chips for us. And it's a top Fortune 100 company. And he is a devout follower of Christ, lives in the Bay Area. And one day he was confronted by his wife, Nathan, in this story, that he wasn't spending enough time with her and his kids, and he was always running late. Now, Pat Gelsinger is an engineer by trade, so he likes data to prove these things. So he did not believe he always runs late. So get this, he created a spreadsheet that if he arrived on time, he would get X amount of points, but if he ran late or didn't show up at all, he would have a sliding scale of lower points. And sure enough, after some time, he realized he was arriving late around 50% of the time, and he was not spending enough time with his family. And in this case, his wife was the Nathan, and instead of a parable, it was a creative spreadsheet that caused this executive to realize his sin and to then repent or turn around from a bad behavior. His wife also confronted him that he was not taking his vacation. And so he looked at the data and he realized he was only taking one week off a year, even though he was due a lot more as the CEO. He didn't realize the extent of his lost vacation for him and his family. So he changed, he repented. He told his secretary at the beginning of each year to put in all of his vacation days and then he built his appointments and business trips around them. He also had to leave the office by five o'clock, no late appointments. And he writes about all of this, if you wanna read more about it, in his book called The Juggling Act, bringing balance to your faith, family, and work. But both for King David and Pat Gelsinger, they were living a life of non-reality and they could not see their flaw until someone told them. The blessing of confessing is that you start to live more in reality. And the more we live in reality, the more healthy we are mentally and spiritually. And there's a kind of purgatory where we actually might confess our, our wrongdoing to ourselves only, but until we get it out of us and confess it to someone else, the toxins will keep us in a kind of hell, a torment, knowing we're not doing the right thing and we're hiding it from people. I once shared how lives affect our souls. Imagine a 3D cubic square block of wood in our bodies, in our souls, and it has sharp edges and corners of this square block. And when we first lie, the cube turns and the sharp edges poke us, hurts, oh, that, that hurts, ouch, we say. But as we lie more and more, the edges, the sharp corners are worn down until finally that block of wood is no longer a sharp cube, but it's now a smooth, round, spherical ball. And it just turns freely. And you no longer feel the nudge from your conscience that you just lied. 
And that ball keeps just spinning and spinning as you live a life more of deception and lying. When a CEO, CEO has a hard time admitting her weakness or, or saying, I'm sorry, then a company is in trouble. Same for a head of a family. Same for a coach of a team. Same for any relationship. Same for any friendship. You see, what we need to repent from doesn't have to be as severe as an affair. There are many smaller things that can snowball into bigger things by never saying, I'm sorry. We're trying to keep up the lie that we are perfect or never asking for advice or never affirming others, which is the falsehood that we are better than everyone else and that people don't need encouragement. These are all falsehoods. And when we don't say sorry to people and admit our imperfections, we live in deception. And it builds a hardening in us. So get this, here's some insight. Psalm 32 verse three says this. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Whoa. And here's another consequence when we don't confess. In the Bible, a book called Proverbs, it says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, there's that repentance, they will receive mercy. The longer we keep our sin in the darkness, the worse it becomes. You know, it's like those old science class petri dishes, you know, a petri dish experiments where you put in, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, agar, aga, A-G-A-R, and uh, kind of that, I don't know what it's called, that gluey looking thing. And, and the mold, if you put in darkness, um, or I'm sorry, the petri dish, if you put in darkness, this mold grows, but not so much in the light. So we need to live in the light of confessing our sin so that healthy growth and not molding decay or bacteria happens. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We are to live honest lives in the light of Jesus if we profess to be followers of Jesus. I have said earlier that repentance is pono. It makes for a right relationship with God, right relationship with people when we confess. And now here are two myths I want to eliminate before I close this sermon. One myth is that if I confess my sin to another person, I will be judged harshly and it's bad for me. And the other myth is if I confess my sin to God, he's going to get really angry at me. So let's first talk about confession to another person of what you have done wrong, either to the aggrieved or to a trusted friend. I believe it is important to confess our sin to another because it's a huge burden to carry. And people hearing a true confession are normally gracious. In the Catholic Church, in the 13th century, confession, or penance as it is sometimes called, was made a sacrament. For many Catholics, it had to be done only with a priest. Now we Protestants believe that confession can be done straight to God or with a friend or it can be done with a pastor. But I wish in our Protestant faith that we held more sacredly the regularity and rhythm of the act of confession. It's not a sacrament for us as listed as with the Catholics, but I wish it was more part of a holy ritual of everyday living. 
Now, while I've been to many healing services where people go to like different stations in a room or in a sanctuary and be prayed for by someone to be healed, I never I have never I had never been to a service that was called a confession service until a few years ago. Pam and I went to a Catholic church, um, an evening service, and the homily was about confession. So I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. It was actually done by a friend. And at the end of the mass, they had, let's say, 12 priests all around the room, and people would line up at a station, just like we do when we line up for healing services, and they would go up to a priest and sit there and make a confession. And I was fascinated with this because I thought it always had to be in that little closet kind of a confession, con, confessional. And, um, and I thought, how wonderful this is. And I could sense that people's burdens were being lifted. And after their confession, visually, they just looked so relieved and happier and refreshed. It was like scales of a hidden story was finally being shed. And yes, there were tears of confession and tears of relief. And I was thinking, golly, what if our church had a confession night with all of our pastors and, and lay pastors like lined around and have people know of the grace and forgiveness of God and that people could have an experience of really being liberated after a confession. It would be a different kind of healing service. It would be healing and confession. And actually, the Bible thinks this is a great idea. This combo, healing and confession, healing and confession. Now, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, in a letter written by Jesus' brother, his name is uh, was James, he wrote this amazing insight and command. And it starts right off the bat that it, it is right that we confess our sins to each other. So hear this, look at this verse. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's the combo. The earnest prayer of a righteous person there's the pono, has great power and produces wonderful results. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Wow, three incredible stunning points right there. First, it is biblical and right and pono to confess your sins to one another. Second, when you confess, it said there will be a healing of our body, maybe physical, as well as emotional, spiritual. Man, if that is true, we want to confess. And third, it seems that if God asks you, like Nathan the prophet, to be part of an intervention to help a brother or sister to repent, you save that person from death and bring about even more forgiveness for more sins. That's amazing. Now, I'm not asking you to like, hey, let's all be Nathans and tell people what their sins are. No, I'm just saying that that is a benefit. Now, Mallory, a, a woman named Mallory Redman wrote in an article entitled, Five Wonderful and Unexpected Benefits Confession, that five things happen with a confession. And here they are, I'm gonna list them. A weight is lifted, Barriers are removed, repair can begin, integrity is grown, and a community is inspired. 
By the way, for those of you online, we always put our text of our sermons on the website so you can read, hear, or see it later. She wrote that confession requires bravery, boldness, and humility, but the rewards are incalculable. In a letter that the Apostle John wrote, he said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That means when we confess, our whole slate of sins is erased. In fact, the slate is thrown away, not just erased. How cleansing is that? And part of confession is knowing ourselves, knowing that there are some bad things we have done and we need to confess it and jettison it from us. So myth number one was if we confess to another person, it's bad for us. Not true. If we confess to another person, it's good for us. Which leads to the second myth that if I confess to God, he will be mad at me. Now, there was a man named John Calvin who was one of the founders of our Presbyterian denomination back in the 1500s. And he once said, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves. So we know, need to know that we, ourselves, are not perfect and there's some things we need to confess. And if we had true knowledge of God, we would know that he doesn't get mad at people who are in sin. Now, how do I know that? Let's look at the Bible. For King David, God forgives David. When a woman is caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus, he doesn't get angry at her. I mean, after all, she was caught in the very act of adultery, and there she's on the ground in that scene in front of Jesus about to be stoned. Instead, Jesus defends her so that she won't be stoned, and then we see that he doesn't say to her, are you nuts? What are you doing? You're such a bad person. But rather, knowing she is very aware of her sin, he says to her right then, does anyone condemn you now that these men with stones have walked away? No. And you know, neither do I. So go and sin no more. That's it. When he meets a woman at a well who has been married five times and is shacking up with a man who is not her husband, does he get mad at her? No. He just says, and I quote from the Gospels, you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. That's pretty gentle. He calls her to worship, and that will help clean up her act. And when John the Baptist, one of the biggest fans of Jesus, reveals to Jesus from his prison, where he is worn down by being jailed and facing execution, he confesses to Jesus through his friends that he's not sure anymore that Jesus is the Messiah and that maybe he should look for another. 
When Jesus gets that message, does he get mad at John and say, how could you possibly say that, you wretched man? Now that you confess that, I wanna say that I'm so disappointed in you. No, Jesus says this, and when he hears of John the Baptist's incredible and deep doubts, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. This is an incredible like double whammy. First, Jesus hears of John's confession of doubting whether Jesus is even the Messiah. Jesus doesn't get mad at him, but instead gives him a huge compliment that no one who has ever lived, no one is greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what an affirmation. And then second, Jesus gives an encouragement to us all. Jesus said that the least person in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John. And I take that to mean that if all of you get to heaven due to your faith in Christ, that even the least of you, sinners that you are, imperfect and flawed as you are, you can be greater than John the Baptist. So if you confess your sins to God, he's not gonna be mad, he will be pleased. He will say, this daughter of mine, this son of mine, in his or her confession of sins, is even greater than John. How can God love us so much? How can he be so forgiving? Now to be true, God will forgive our sins, but it doesn't erase the consequences of our sins. I mean, God forgives a bank robber, but a robber still has to go to jail. But as for God and for us, he forgives us. It goes back to the basics of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish for eternity, but will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that Jesus came to this earth and died for us. For God so loved the world, Jesus forgives our sin. And after Jesus was betrayed and suffered injustice in a court and then was whipped and beaten and stabbed and then crucified on a cross, that while on that cross, he then looked out on the people who betrayed him, who tortured him, and he said to God the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. On that same cross, he, he forgave a criminal who was crucified next to him who confessed his sin, and at that moment, Jesus said he would be in paradise with Jesus. Friends, confess your sins to Jesus often and authentically, and feel the burden lift, and the cleansing begins. And if you can confess to a friend and God, you'll really feel a weight lifted. Forgiveness and confession is all wrapped up in the meaning of the Last Supper, our, our sacrament of communion. Now before we take the elements, I wanna take an opportunity to give you all a moment of silent reflection as, as Chevis plays a little bit on the guitar. And if something we need to confess to God, I don't wanna miss this moment I wanna give you the chance to confess this to God in silent prayer.
both here at Ko'olau and you there online. And I'm going to take it a step further that some of you in this prayer might be saying, I didn't realize all of this about Jesus and forgiveness. And this may be the moment where you say, okay, I want to commit my life to this Christ. I want to find out about him and follow him as best as I can. And so this is your opportunity to either make that first time commitment or a recommitment, a rededication of your life for Christ. So let's take this moment right now and just have a time of quiet and pray to God. And there may be something you might want to confess. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thanking, thank you for always lovingly forgive us and wanting the best for us. And Lord, I wonder if there's some people here who, who just made a first-time commitment, who say, okay, I want to follow you to the best of my ability. And thank you for forgiving my sins. Please come into my life. If by chance, Lord, there are some here, first of all, here at Ko'olau, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if they could just raise their hand and just say, okay, I'm in, Lord. This might be a first-time commitment. If you might do that right now. And Lord, if there are people here who might say, Boy, I want to recommit my life to you, Lord, in this new way. I want to rededicate my life and try to be a fully committed follower of you, one who confesses and receives your forgiveness, but also be a forgiver of others. If there's anyone here or online, we'll start with the ones here who want to make that decision. Just raise your hand now, and I, I, as your friend and pastor, will kind of confirm that before the Lord with you. Just raise your hand. Okay, you can lower your hands now. And, and those of you online, you know, there's a, a button you can hit now or later that just says, I commit my life to Christ. And also one says, I would love to pray with somebody, and you can hit that button anytime. Lord, thank you for always hearing our prayers. Thank you for forgiving us. May we be filled with your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. And so before I give the final blessing, I, I want to say that for those of you who, um, again, who've made some commitment to Christ, feel free to hit that button. Or if you want some prayer, please hit that button and, and someone will meet with you online. And um, if you want to be part of the connect groups, there's a button for that, and that allows you to be in a small group, a discussion group, to talk about the sermon, to go a bit deeper, and we have a facilitator who will be with that group too. So please feel free to hit that button as the service ends. 
And now, oh, and also we have a, a, a prayer ministry here in person. So you online get to hit a button. But here in person, if you would like some prayer, uh, there's a prayer ministry right outside those glass doors and in a beautiful setting, in a confidential setting. You can take advantage of that. And people, the prayer team would love to pray with you. But for all of you right now, I have a blessing. So please stand here in Ko'olau. And if you're at home, you can stand too. So please receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the love and the forgiveness and mercy and grace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. amen. And for those of you in line, I just want to say aloha and ahui ho. See you later. Hope to see you next week. God bless you all online. Bye-bye. Confession lifts the burden of sinfulness. It's all about accepting God's forgiveness and getting closer to Jesus. If you'd like to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. In-person worship continues, but in limited capacity, there are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you'd like to participate, we ask that you sign up through the website on a weekly basis. And both services will be streamed live on the church websites. Those websites again, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, registration for our in-person worship, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything we can do for you, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808 808- Five three two one 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 one. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thanks for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.